That, of course, an excerpt from the hilarious Three Amigos. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you owe yourself to watch it someday. Words are confusing. Words can be confusing, right? As we all saw, Hefe struggle with what a plethora was. What a deep visual aid for us this morning. Um, look, words can be very hard to wrap our brains around. And this morning we're talking about a word, worship, that can be extremely hard to wrap our brains around, even though we use it a lot. We throw the word worship around a ton in church, right? I mean, it's, it's all over the place, and it's something that if we're going to throw the, the word around, we've got to get a good understanding of it. So this morning, we're focusing solely on worship. And it is one of the last core values. We've been going through the core value series at our core for the past several months. And this is one of the last ones that we're looking at about passionate worship. And if you've got notes, I'm going to ask you to jot down a, a, quite a few things today and kind of put the, a lot of the responsibility back in your hands to go look at some scriptures because, you know, we could, I could be up here all day and there's a, there's a good chance I might be. I'm not sure. I'm going to try not to. But I could be up here all day talking about it and giving examples and looking at scriptures. So I'm going to want you to write down a lot of things as we go. Uh, so if you don't have any notes, raise your hand and somebody will give you some notes and or pen if you need one. Some hand, a few hands up. All right, where we're camping out today, largely, is in Romans chapter 12, the first verse, okay? So I do want you to go ahead and, and, uh, and turn to that. And, and as Paul says, you already noticed, we're doing things differently. You're all used to us singing songs and playing music before anybody gets up and preaches but that's just because that's kind of become a routine in church. But it's not, it's not necessarily a biblical thing that has to happen. So we want to take a different look at worship this morning. So if you're all there in Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1, I'm going to read through that. And we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of tear that verse apart this morning. Uh, God put me on it a couple, a couple weeks ago, and he never took me out of it. And he just, he just made me keep chewing on that verse, and he keep taking it apart and showing me different things in it. And he says, he told me that you're teaching worship out of this verse. And, and it's vital to us. And it's vital to understanding worship. All right? So let me read that to you. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let me read it one more time. I want you to hear it. Therefore, I urge you, and this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing this. So if I reference Paul a lot this morning, I'm not referencing Paul, Pastor Paul. I'm referencing pa Apostle Paul unless I specify, okay? Um, so Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, followers of Jesus, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, okay? So Paul tells us there, being a living sacrifice is your service of worship to God, okay? You being a living sacrifice is your service of worship to God. That's what we're going to break down. That's where we're going to be. I need you tracking with me this morning. 
All right, so he compares us to a sacrifice. And we've got to look back at old, in the Old Testament at what it means to be a sacrifice. We're going to understand this. Uh, in, in, the, in the books of the Old Testament, there were constant sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, and what that meant when, when sacrificing an animal, that animal had to be offered up by someone to the priest at the temple to be slaughtered, to be laid on an altar, burned in fire, and offered up in fire and smoke to God. Before that sacrifice, and aren't you glad we don't, we don't have to do that anymore because it would be really smelly. And, uh, yeah, it just wouldn't be good. And so that sacrifice had to have a couple things for it to be acceptable, for God to see that offering, to accept that offering from the people. It had to be perfect. It had to be flawless. It had to be unblemished in each and every way. And it also had to be, it had to give up its life. All right? It couldn't get up on the altar and do its thing, get off, and go run back with the other sheep, right? I mean, it had to give up his life. It didn't get off the altar. Those were the essential parts of it. Paul says, we are a sacrifice. But obviously, we were missing some ingredients there. So we've got to look back and see how we can be that, how we can be a sacrifice before the Lord. So if you've got your notes, before we go any further, I want to fill in some blanks. Up at the top, you got the sentence about, about our core value in itself. And I didn't underline where the blanks were, but I'm going to read it. Well, here it is. The core value in itself says we value passionate worship and expect his presence to overwhelm us with acceptance by him. Left out a blank, didn't I? I didn't write that blank down. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. To overwhelm us with awe and acceptance by him. And if you squeeze acceptance into the little blank, you can write awe really big as a metaphor in the big blank. Just, oh. Let me read it again. We value passionate worship and expect his presence to overwhelm us with awe of him and acceptance by him. All right, everybody got that? Part one, worship is a noun. Here's how it's a noun. <clears throat> worship is a noun. It is you. Those are your two blanks for part number one. Worship is a noun. It is you. It is you. So let's go back to that sacrifice, all right? The sacrifice had to be perfect and had to die to be accepted to God. Paul says you are a sacrifice if you want to worship God. How's that work? Well, in the Old Testament, it was done for a lot of different things. Uh, you might offer up a sacrifice to God as an act of worship, as a way to give thanks to God, as an act of repentance, to, to seek forgiveness from God, as an act to receive blessings from God. Maybe you desire some certain thing or, or, or for their land to be richly blessed and they would offer up a sacrifice to God. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. A lot of different reasons why they would offer the sacrifice. But the, the essentials to, to, for any of the reasons was that, again, the sacrifice had to be flawless, had to be perfect, and also had to die. 
could not get up off, would not get up off of that offering. I don't know how many people in here are perfect. Um, I'm not. If you are, uh, let me know. Anybody? Anyone? My daughter is pretty close. And she's 18 months old. Uh, she's pretty close to being perfect. But even she is not perfect, and she was in a family yesterday, which doesn't happen often. None of us in here are perfect, and none of us in here are heading out today to lay up on an altar of wood and allow somebody to burn us to be accepted to God, right? I'm just taking a, a, a guess there. None of us are going to do that, right? So we're missing the two key ingredients. Although, even though back in Romans 12, look what it says. He says, present your bodies as a sacrifice acceptable to God. How can we be an acceptable sacrifice if we have missed the two key ingredients of the sacrifice? How can we be acceptable? Here's the key to it. Uh, flip over to 2 Corinthians 5.17, but leave something in Romans 12.1 because we're definitely going to be back there. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the key to how we are acceptable. And then we're going to tie in why in the world being a sacrifice and comparing us to a sacrifice, what in the world that has to do with worship of God? All right, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, and you're going to want to write that one down in your notes. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone has been redeemed by Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. Not a cleaned creature or a fixed creature. He is a new creature. That means brand new. All right, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Here's why that's the key to understanding Romans 12.1. Because in ourselves, we can't be accepted by God, right? That's the whole problem of from, from the beginning of the world, we couldn't be accepted by God. That's why Jesus had to come do what he did. We can't be a perfect sacrifice, and we're not going to give our lives up and, and die to be accepted by God because we wouldn't be good enough to be accepted anyway because we're not perfect. Second Corinthians says that when we're in Christ, he created in you something brand new that could be accepted. Hear that. He created in you a brand new creature that could be accepted as a sacrifice without dying and without being perfect. Hear that again. He created something brand new for the first time ever. Sacrifices were never allowed, were, were never offered and not killed, right? Even Jesus, though he was perfect and offered as a sacrifice, he had to die to make the whole plan work of redemption. Through Jesus, though, he created in you something brand new whose very life becomes the act of worship. You see that? Your life now, because he said you're a living sacrifice. He didn't say to be acceptable by God, you have to be a dead sacrifice and a burned sacrifice. He says we don't do that anymore. He said I've created in you something so brand new that you and your very life, your day-to-day -day life, is the very thing that is the act of worship. You see that? 
That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. So all day, every day, you're alive, right? Do, you don't cease to live when you sleep, right? I mean, some people are pretty dead to the world. I don't know, if, you know how, how hard of a sleeper you are. I am. I'm, I'm really, I mean, Jennifer's always trying to have conversations when we get in the bed instead of when we're not in the bed. And I don't know why she does it. I tell her all the time, you've got, you, you got to stop doing that. Because I'm, I'm just going to fall asleep. I mean, that's what the bed's for. I fall asleep. I'm very good at sleeping. It's one of my spiritual gifts. I'm very talented at it. I could live, I mean, I could fall asleep right now. I'm very good at it. I'm a heavy sleeper. I mean, she'll have heard Kata up all night. So you hear her up at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I'm worried about her. I didn't hear her once. I, I mean, I didn't even think the monitor was on. I'm a heavy sleeper. That doesn't mean my life stops, right? That doesn't mean I cease to exist. I'm still alive. Our life is not a, a light switch, right? Light switch, you turn it off, the lights go off. You turn it on, lights come back on. That's not how our lives work. That's not how worship works. The scripture says, we are a living sacrifice, which means we never stop being a sacrifice, right? We never stop. And being that sacrifice is our act of worship. So if we never stop living, and living is the act of worship, we never stop worshiping. Our very life is worship. That's why that blank, that's why we can put our life is worship. That's how. He created you for that. He, he made a new being in you so that your very life and your day-to-day -day life can be the offering that is acceptable. That being said, he says, your act of worship, <clears throat> so your life is worship. And that's still kind of confusing. And I've had a hard time wrapping my brain around this for a couple weeks. And so I've just been praying that God would give you clarity as he continues to give me clarity. Because we're very quick to, to make worship things, right? And when, you know, you walked in this morning and you saw things a little differently... Some of you might have said, well, well we're not going to worship today because we didn't sing or something. We're very quick to, to label it as, as different things. But I've got to get you to see this morning that worship is you and it is your life. It never stops. Okay? Think of yourself as a sacrifice. The animal never gets off the altar. You as a believer in Christ, you never get off that spiritual altar because each breath you take, you're worshiping you are a sacrifice, okay? So, let's, I want to try and help this to be a little more understandable. So we're going to look at some, uh, a handful of scriptures. And I want you to write them down. And I want you to go back and look through them. And I'm just going to kind of give you a blip of, of what they all say, what they all mean. So the first one, jot down 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5 says, We are the living stones of a house of worship to God. We, our body is a house of worship to God. First Corinthians, and you don't have to write down uh, what I say they say. Just make sure you get down these references so you can look back at them and do your role in worship of expounding upon the preaching that God's called somebody to do. First Corinthians 6.20 says that we were bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. He bought us 
with a heavy price of his life. So glorify him in your bodies. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, no longer, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not I who live any longer, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 8.5. 2 Corinthians 8.5. He's talking about the Macedonian church that says they gave themselves over to the Lord. They gave themselves, everything they had, over to the Lord in full submission and obedience. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 5. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and 14. It says that the body is for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord. You got all these references so far? Did I go too fast? Much slower than Paul? I do tend to talk. I talk kind of slow, yeah. Pastor Paul, not the Apostle Paul, right? Okay. Because sometimes he would have like 400-word sentences, and then he'd put a period in, I don't know. Um, Last one, make sure you get this one jotted down. 1 Corinthians 10.31, and this is vital. 1 Corinthians 10.31. And Paul is talking about, he's addressing some, some issues with food and drink. But the heart of it is this. He says to them, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. In full, he says, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, which is a coverall, right? He's not just talking about, you know, the soda you're going to drink after, after the service or what you're going to eat for lunch. He says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. All these scriptures illustrate how our life is worship. And it's summed up in that. Whatever you do, and we do a lot of things, right? I mean, if we could just list everything that we do, from, from breathing to brushing our teeth, which hopefully you do, to walking the dog, to eating, to going to a job, to watching the office. You do a lot of things during the day, right? If we could list them all, I think it would be overwhelming just how much we, I would say accomplish, but some of them probably aren't accomplishing a lot, but how much we do in a day. And Paul says... Everything you do. He doesn't limit. He doesn't leave anything out. Do it to the glory of God. That is what it means to worship him. And since we're always doing, we're always worshiping, right? You track it with me? Does that make sense? You need me to run back over anything? Did you miss a, a verse or anything? All right, let me sum up point one, okay, so we can get to the easy part. Our act of worship, and hear this, our act of worship is to submit our lives fully to God, bringing Him glory in each and every second of it. Our act of worship, that's being a sacrifice, is to submit ourselves fully to Him, bringing Him glory in everything we do. I don't know about you, but that's really convicting to me. And as I studied and I looked into this, it's, it's extremely convicting to me because I've overlooked so much of my life. And, I, and as I began to understand that, 
gosh, with every second I'm worshiping and I would see that there are many things that I've chosen not to worship Him in. I'm still worshiping because our life is worship, right? It's not a light switch. Our life is worship. So I'm always worshiping. The problem is that a lot of times I'm not worshiping Him. I'm worshiping me. I'm worshiping someone else. Because to worship is to bring it glory. So when I'm not bringing him glory through something, I'm still worshiping. I'm bringing glory to somebody or something else. It never stops. It's not song. It's not dance. It's not words. It's your life is worship. It never, ever stops. Got to get that. So this means that every second, like I, again, when I said, we're worshiping something. Every second, we're worshiping something. So how does this play out? When your day-to-day life, when you leave today and you go to a restaurant and you get frustrated with your waitress because the, something happened wrong with your order and you have a bad attitude towards your waitress, you're worshiping. You didn't stop worshiping when you left the gathering. So are you bringing glory to God through that, or are you bringing glory to the world through that, or to yourself through that? When you just recently paid your taxes and you were honest about them, because the Bible says be subject to your government, whether you believe in every, every bit of it or not, when you were honest about your taxes and you were glorifying God, you were worshiping God. When you weren't, you worshiped your wallet. When you have a a healthy sex life with your spouse, you are glorifying God because the Bible instructs of that. And that's hard to understand because when we say worship, we think we're singing, we think we're doing things like that. Every aspect. You're glorifying Him, you're glorifying something else. You never, ever, ever stop worshiping. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, worship is a noun, it is me. Worship is, then say worship is a noun, it is you. And now say plethora. It's a fun word. I like to use big words. Plethora might be my favorite ever since that scene. Plethora. I use plethora on a regular basis. I have a plethora of days in my lifespan that I've used the word plethora. And I just did it correctly. All right. So we've established that worship is us, and it never stops. And it, and it is a noun. It is our life, and, and that we worship all the time. We are... We are a living sacrifice, and we are acceptable to God. All right, so as much as I want you to get that, I want you to understand this, that your life, at the same time, very practically puts forth worship. And the Bible has called you to very practically, directly worship God through specific things. So while your life never stops worshiping, it also, in your life, He instructs you to worship Him in specific ways. So point number two is, worship is a verb. It's what you do. Worship is a verb. It's what you do. 
So yes, it's a noun, and at the same time, by the mystery of God, it is a verb. It is a verb. It's what you do. And we had to look at the hard part first, because I was talking with Pastor Paul the other day, and he made he left he emailed me this comment that, that really has helped me. He said, and you might want to jot this down: Worship has to be in you before it comes out of you. Worship has to be in you before it comes out of you. So we've looked at it in us, now we want to look at it out of us. And the best way that I can that I could think to explain these elements of worship and the very direct things he called us to do is with a puzzle. Alright? It's a sound puzzle too. And because I've got a daughter, so she plays with puzzles. This is my daughter's. And Melissa and Doug puzzles are awesome. If you got them for your kids. Sound puzzle. And all these different musical instrument pieces, when you put them back down. They play the, the instruments uh, when you reattach them to their little magnetic guy there. This is one of the many puzzles that, that she's good at. Um, I took a picture of one that she did the other day I was pretty proud of. Uh, D Disney, you know, Princess Puzzle. She's 18 months and she's quite brilliant. Um, uh, yes. And then go ahead and show them the other one she's working on. I mean, she's, she's just, a, I mean, she's a great kid. She's, um, I think she ate a couple pieces, but I mean, for the most part, that's going to turn out what it's supposed to be. You know, it's a, it's a cityscape. She's quite brilliant. Um, Okay, she did neither of those, but she will pretty soon, because she really is. Um, this is not a puzzle, right? If I came up to you and I said, Michael, here's a puzzle. It's not a puzzle. This is a piece of this puzzle, and this puzzle is not... It's, really, it's funny, because if the pieces go, it's light-sensitive... So if the pieces aren't back in it, as soon as we put her to bed and turn the lights off, it'll start like playing the drums or something. So we have to make sure they're in the slots. This is a piece of the puzzle, okay? It's a central piece. If the pieces aren't all there, the puzzle is not complete. You get that? These elements of worship that we're going to look at are not the puzzle. They are an extension of your worship. Your life is worship. The things that we do, the verbs worship, are an extension of your worship. They are elements of your worship. They're essential. They are not the puzzle. So when we get up here and we sing, and we sing praises to God, or when these, when these young ladies dance before the Lord, that was them worshiping God as an extension of their already life that never stops worshiping. You see that? <clears throat> These are the elements that we add to the life that's already worshiping. And here's, and I just wanted to specifically look over some of the corporate elements of worship. You know, the Bible calls us to, to a lot of different types of worship both privately and corporately. But since we're corporate and we're together and we're at the gathering, we're together and we're one body, I want to look up over a few of um, the important elements of corporate worship. So you can jot down this scripture, and I'm going to turn there as you're jotting it down. Hebrews 10, 
verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the Bible encourages us, it commands us to do this, to be together, to have church, if you will, to come together and take these elements that we're going to look at, amplify them together as one body, and lift them up as praise to God, as extensions of our life that are already worshipped. So jot these down. I had a slide and I left it at home. Well, I didn't leave it at home. I left it on my computer. Um, I'm going to tell you the, what, the, uh, what the element of worship is and give you a scripture, and you can go look at those later and study further on that. But one is preaching. And these are all things that we're going to do here at the gathering. We're always going to do these elements here because the Bible has called us to. And we value that. And these are parts of passionate worship. You can't have passionate worship without these. You can sing all day long, but you've not passionately worshipped when you're leaving out all the elements that make up the puzzle of the life of worship. So preaching, 2 Timothy 4.2. The sacraments of baptism, you just write baptism, Matthew 28.19. The Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. And we do that about once a month. And we do that not just because the Bible said to, but because it's an act of worship for us to remember what Christ did for us and to partake in that meal together. Prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Reading scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Reading scripture, 1 Timothy 4.13. Giving financially, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the chapters 8 and 9. And then singing, music, dance, and other arts. I know, I mean, I, I get that these girls did this dance, and we talked about how they were worshiping God through it, and how you were worshiping God as being a part of the youth of this church worshiping God through dance. And it, for some of you, it's probably hard to understand how is dancing worshiping God? I get how singing is worshiping God or bowing down is worshiping God. How is dance worshiping God? It is, it's straight up as biblical as any other element of worship that there is. And God relishes in it. And he is overjoyed at what they gave us this morning. And it was so cool to get up here and prepare this room for the word of God. Other things, I, I put other arts. I've seen guys paint through worship as an act of worship in, in services. I don't know if you know Joe. Joe, uh, we used to be in a band together. Wave, Joe. I've never heard, I don't think I've ever heard Joe sing, and that's not an indictment on whether or not he can sing. I don't really recall ever hearing you actually sing, but I do. I mean, ingrained in my mind, I've seen Joe literally actively, directly worship the God of the universe through an electric guitar, and it's awesome. And I've, I've seen that in him. I've seen 
all kinds of forms of corporate and private worship in and through people. And here's why. And, he, and you're going to see all these things on a regular basis, and you're going to see some other things. And you're going to see a lot of things at the gathering that you're not used to because we value passionate worship. And we're not going to put limits on that and, and make some man-made definition. So you're going to see a lot of different things. And the key to that is Colossians 1.16. Write that down. Oh, I didn't give you the scripture for the other one. I'm sorry. All right, after you wrote Colossians 1.16 down, for singing, music, dance, and other arts... Colossians 1.16 goes with that. Also, Colossians 3.16 and Psalm 150. Colossians 3.16 and Psalm 150. Got that? Did I start going too fast? Okay. Talk, talk slow. Um, here's what Colossians 1.16 says, and here's why. Here's why those things, these elements are accepted to God, and we do them corporately. It says all things are created through him and for him. All, thing, all things are created through him and for him. That's why we can offer those things up. So that when they get up here and they dance, that is for the Lord, and he receives it well. The barometer for this is when God is the audience. When God is the audience, you're going to see a lot of different kinds of worship here. When God is the audience. And the inverse of that, when God is not the audience, the, these active, direct forms of worship are going to be fruitless. They're going to be in vain. They're not going to accomplish anything because somebody else is the audience. I can get up here all day and play my pretty guitar that the Lord has blessed me with. I can play it all day long. And I can sing. Some, some weeks I have to sing baritone like I did a couple weeks ago because I didn't have a voice. And I tried to sing up normal, and I almost passed out because I had a lot of... Some days I'm going to sing great, and some days I'm not. And some days... And I can stand up here and play all day long. If you're my audience, and you're Jennifer's audience, and Paul and Christian, if you're our audience, it's worthless. Because that's us worshiping you. You ever been worshipped? If you've ever been to church, you've been worshipped. I promise. There's a good chance I've worshipped you. That's creepy, right? That sounds like stalker. <laughs> Do you get that? If God is not our audience, then the worship hits the ceiling and it falls back to the floor. And there's a good... If you ever heard me mess up, which happens a lot, whenever you hear me screw up, there's a good chance I started worshipping you or myself. It's, it's very fast. It happens like that. And, and he corrects me. I'll start thinking, wow, this is good. This is going pretty well. Well, that sounded pretty cool when you played that. I'll screw up like that. Because God reminds me that he is the audience of my worship, not you. <clears throat> so for worship as a verb... We value at the gathering corporate worship because the Bible calls us to. And it calls us to because of this. And this is how we know that he's going to do great things through it. Matthew 18.20. Or is that 20.18? Matthew 18.20 says this. It says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. I'm there with them. Can we rejoice in that this morning? That when two or three gather in his name, he is here. And there are a lot more than two or three in this room this morning. And he is here and he is meeting with us. And those of us who are in Christ are filled with him. So he is all through this room this morning. 
He says, when you are together in my name, I am there with you. So that's why we love passionate, that we value passionate corporate worship together at the gathering because it amplifies the life that we're already living, a life of worship. It amplifies it. It makes it louder. It makes it more vibrant. It makes it more passionate, more wonderful. And it amplifies it to a God who is already listening to us every second, worship Him with every act that we do. You tracking with that? All right, number three. It's going to go fast. I'm almost done. I've been talking forever. All right, number three. Then what's the point? That blank is point, the point of worship. Why do we do it? What's the point? Why, why worship God? You've got to go back to Romans 12.1. I told you we'd go back. And here's why. It's the coolest thing that God showed me so far uh, preparing for this sermon. And I want you to go back to Romans 12.1. And I want you to hear this. Romans 12.1 that said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let me write down that word spiritual. It doesn't mean like angelic and fantastic and, uh you know, halos. What that word means, literally, if you looked it up, the word logikos. I learned just enough Greek in college that professor says makes you dangerous. I don't know. He said, don't take just one semester to make you dangerous. Um, That word means rational reasonable, logical. Put that in that verse now. Being a living sacrifice, worshiping with everything you've got all day long, is your rational, rational, logical service of worship to God. He's saying it's the only, it's really the only thing that makes sense. It's the only way that you can worship God. It's the only logical, reasonable way that you can worship God because he doesn't need anything else from you. What he wants is you to turn your life over to him in full. The, ne- the very next word, service, it's not, just a, it's not just a cutesy little metaphor. It literally means like a priest's service of sacrifice to a divine. It, it literally is an act. It's not a metaphor. It is, it is something that you literally do to God. So that's saying your, your reasonable, physical service is to live your life for him. That is what the point of it is. He says it's reasonable. Why, what else is there in the world? He says what else is there but to turn your life over to Jesus in full submission and glorify him with every breath. This is the only reasonable and logical way to worship. Here's one thing it's not, though. Maybe equally as important. Here's one thing it's not because the church for a, a lot of years, many, many churches have, have bred into us this idea that we come and worship him at church to enter into his presence. We come here and we, we better be walking out saying, I worship today so that we know we got into his presence, right? You ever walked out of a service and said, man, I really worship today. That worship was kicking today. Or worked out and walked out and said, eh, worship was kind of lacking today. Or, eh, Paul was not really on it today. He didn't give me goosebumps. It's kind of weird, creepy. Paul, you don't give me goosebumps in that kind of answer. 
You ever walk down and say something like that? The point of worship is that you're not coming in here and doing these things so that you can enter into his presence. You're already in his presence. That's why you can worship him all day long. Because you're already in his presence. Because Jesus made that possible, right? And we talked about it on Easter Sunday. When he died, he ripped that, the veil that we talked about that he tore in two. You can write that down. Write, write down Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. And then also verses 10, I mean chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And write down Matthew 27, 51. Matthew 27, 51. We talked about that a couple weeks ago at Easter, how when Jesus died, he tore down the veil that separates you from him and causes some man or woman to have to go to God on your behalf. That was the veil that was there from the beginning of the temple when God came down to his people and he was separated. And Jesus tore that in half and says, through me, you have free access to God. And when you're in Christ and he has saved your soul, you are in his presence nonstop. That's why you, being a living sacrifice, are acceptable to him every second of every day. <clears throat> Tracking with me? You good with that? You got a question? Good? No? All right. Um, let's wrap it up. And Paul, you want to come on up? Let's wrap this up. Here's, here's how this applies. If you're a believer in Christ, if he has redeemed you and you have prayed a prayer of repentance and he has saved your soul and made you a new creation, the question I leave to you is, who are you glorifying? We've established that the light switch is always on. We are worship. So who are you glorifying? Who are you worshiping, church? When you leave here, who are you worshiping? To those of you who are not followers of Christ, we don't look down on you because you've never received Christ as your Savior, but we desperately want you to know Him. And the question I'll leave with you is, what are you waiting on? Our, this reliable, trustworthy Bible says, the only logical thing is to turn your life over to Him and worship Him in full. What are you waiting on? Make this the morning that you do just that. Let this be the morning where you do just that. And if that's you, just you know, don't wait on, on music to be over. Come find me, uh, one of the other leaders in the room, somebody, and turn your life over to Jesus and begin that new creation journey. Um, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing because that's an element of it. And you're going to lift up your hands because that's an element of your worship. And you might dance because that's an element of worship. And you might use the instrument, one of the instruments that God gave you, your hands. And you might clap out of rhythm because you might not have any. But it's okay because God hears it and he sees you using your body as worship to him. And it's going to be a great time. So let me pray for you, and I'm going to get out of the way as we lift up God's name in song and dance and words and music. Pray with me. Father, thank you that 
we don't need somebody else to go to you, that we don't need anyone to make our life work and to make our life acceptable and to transform what we do into an act of worship. We thank you that you created us, a new being that lets us do that freely. God, I pray that you hear our words this morning, but see through them straight to our heart. And may you be the audience this morning. Will you move in us to to place you first as the audience of our corporate worship this morning? Would you break us of the desires to have anybody else pat us on the back because we sing great or because we pray hard or because we look the spiritual part? But this morning we pray that you are the audience and you alone. And we know we have the confidence, as the value says, we have the confidence that your presence that is already here and dwells in us will overwhelm us this morning. Yes. It'll overwhelm us and we will be left in awe of it because we amplify your praise to you as one body. Hear us this morning. Look straight to our hearts and transform them transform into what you would desire. We love you, Jesus, and this is all because of you. Without it, we still, we're still burning animals. But we glorify you because you made us something brand new that never existed. And we turn our lives over to you. We take our hands off. We're yours, Lord. Hear us this morning.